0: From the studios of Farm Journal broadcast, this is Ag Day.
1: Two great tastes that go great together.
2: It was like a lot of like a lot of inventions, you know, it just came
1: about. See where cookies and cream ice cream may have been born. The tariff battle may be heating up again. How the EU factors into the latest debate as the world remains focused on what's happening between Israel and Hamas, and the world markets that hang in the balance.
0: What if all of a sudden this starts to bring the entirety of the Middle East into the
1: fight? The latest right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat, and tears meet rain, wind, and sun. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Happening right now, Israeli troops are gathering near Gaza. It's ahead of an expected ground offensive against Hamas militants. And as the fighting between the two countries grows, many are watching to see the impact this will have on global markets. Hack Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, has there been any commodity market reaction yet?
3: So far, there hasn't been much of a move in the fertilizer markets due to the Middle East conflict. However, one fertilizer expert tells me that it's an important region of the world for fertilizer production, and so it's being closely watched. So far this fall, nitrogen and potash prices have been 50 to 60% below 2022. So just when the fertilizer market looked like it was starting to normalize, another potential black swan enters. The Middle East is a big player in fertilizer production, and Israel alone is the fourth largest potash exporter. So if the conflict with Palestine starts to spill beyond the borders and escalate, it could quickly push up prices.
0: What if all of a sudden this starts to bring the entirety of the Middle East into the fight, now obviously the market is going to be more focused on oil shipments through the Persian Gulf into the you know out to sea that direction but there's a lot of fertilizers produced in that region that goes through that corridor. Uh, I think uh, just over 50% of all the tons of urea around the world that are produced are coming out of that region. So that's something we need to watch.
3: He says the conflict has had an impact on fertilizer producers because the cost of energy, including natural gas, has gone up as those markets put in war premium.
0: Now we're starting to see that cost of production go up. For a lot of areas, all that does is chew into the margin for the manufacturer. But when you start to look at Europe, who's been that swing producer, now we're getting back to worried about does this start to reduce operating rates? Does this kill any chance we had of further restarts there?
3: Linville says the fertilizer market is also watching the outcome of India's tender, with prices already dropping in anticipation of China filling the order. He says if they do, it could further pressure prices. I'm Michelle Rooker reporting for Ag Day.
1: All right, thanks, Michelle. A tariff dispute between the U.S. and Europe could come to a head later this week. That is, President Joe Biden plans to host a one-day summit with European officials. According to the Wall Street Journal, the two countries are at odds over Trump-era steel and aluminum tariffs. The Biden administration agreed to allow European steel and aluminum tariff imports without tariffs as long as import levels remain low. The EU also suspended retaliatory tariffs on some products from the U.S. But those tensions flared back up when Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act with the EU frustrated over subsidies for climate-related technologies. Also complicating things, the U.S. wants Europe to add tariffs to Chinese steel, saying steel from China is causing too much supply. According to one economist who specializes in trade, this all stems from the start of the trade war. Since then, tariffs between the U.S. and China have stayed at about 20% on both sides as China continues to target agriculture. An issue is that the United States is heavily reliant on uh, uh, exporting agricultural commodities to China. So we're reliant on China as a large market. Vice versa, China is not as uh, dependent on the US market for its exports. It's, it's exporting the product all over the place. And not only that, they're uh, enge- engaging with uh, companies all over the world, um, like for example, and EV batteries and to produce them across the world. And so they're really um, getting involved in more, you know, diversifying their, their exports. According to reports, while the EU is pushing back on the United States' request to add tariffs to Chinese steel products, EU officials could announce they're opening an investigation into China's steel industry. A break from the rain won't last long in some key harvest areas. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joins us with the very latest. Matt? Yeah, of course, we're trying to dry things out and give time
4: for things to dry out to where we're harvesting. Uh, this is Tuesday at 1 p.m. We're going to be in between uh, two troughs or low pressure systems in the middle part of the work week. So we got one leaving up to the north and east, taking the rain and the cloud cover with it. A bit of a break across the United States. You see, it's not all that long between our Tuesday afternoon. And our Wednesday afternoon, we stay dry uh, through the southeast, back down here towards Texas, Louisiana, uh, try to get some dry air in over you know, parts of Missouri and the Midwest. But you see that second push of some moisture trying to come through the jet stream and uh, repeating almost the pattern that we had last Thursday and Friday with a low pressure system at the surface and a deep trough digging in and across the United States. Now, the difference between last week. And this week is as that trough digs to the northeast, a ridge is going to build back out to the west. So, again, there's Thursday at 9 p.m. with that ridge building. Expect conditions to stay dry, maybe a little windy in between the two, the ridge and the trough, which is going to be back out here towards the northeast. So there's a look at Saturday at about 4 p.m.
1: Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials, the super granule that packs balanced nutrition into a single granule for uniform nutrient distribution, increased nutrient uptake, and season-long sulfur availability. Beating commodity fertilizers every time. Supercharge your yields with the Mighty Micro from Mosaic.
4: As we uh, continue checking out those yields in the and so Nicole sending this one in from Iowa, harvesting a short corn plot here. She says eight different hybrids were planted and she says they're averaging 24, 249.8 bushels to the acre.
1: 249.8 bushels. I'll have more on your forecast in just a bit. A blow for producers in North Carolina. The Supreme Court deciding not to hear the state's defense of a law aimed at preventing hidden camera investigations. The justices leaving in place a legal victory for people for the ethical treatment of animals, or PETA, in its challenge of the law. An appeals court ruled the 2015 law could not be enforced against PETA when its undercover work is being performed to conduct news-gathering activities. Now, that law is similar to other so-called ag-gag laws, some of which have been struck down by courts around the country. Now, North Carolina officials argue the law would protect all employers against several harms, such as unauthorized use by employees of trade secrets or patient information. And two other animal groups in the spotlight the center for the environment and welfare taking a look at the expenditures of the humane society of the u.s and the american society for the prevention of cruelty to animals in 2021 now it reports the humane society of the u.s budget totaled approximately 138 million dollars you can see the breakdown of that the report claims it sent 1.6 million dollars to pet shelters And the report says those donations only went to 18 states. As for the ASPCA, it says the organization gave $5.5 million in grants to local pet shelters, or under 2% of its total budget. The grants reaching pet shelters in just 29 states. It's worth noting the Humane Society of the U.S. is not affiliated with local shelters that use Humane Society in their title. And the SPCA is not affiliated with the ASPCA. PCA. What is the number one ag producing county in the nation? Well, according to an annual crop and livestock report, it's Tulare County, California. The report says Tulare County reported $8.6 billion in gross revenue last year, while nearby Fresno County reported just over $8 billion. And Kern County, California came in third at $7.7 billion. Now, all told, those three counties account for 44% of California's total Ag production value of more than $55.8 billion. Now, milk continues to be the leading commodity in Tulare County, representing 31% of the total crop and livestock value last year. It's reported fruit and nut crops were a major factor in the increase in revenue, with their value increasing to over $4.5 billion in 2022. Well, it was a mixed day for markets as livestock and grains trade opposite directions. We'll talk pricing trends coming up next. And later, we're off to South Dakota where this campus creamery continues to pump out fan favorites. That's today in the country. Some hopeful signs about preventing world hunger. USDA's International Food Security Assessment shows there are almost 229 million fewer people estimated to be food insecure compared to last year. It represents more than a 16% drop. The areas shaded in blue on this map represent where food insecurity went down. In orange and red, where it increased. Now the areas in gray are not surveyed. It says the improvement is due to an average annual income growth of 3.7% for counties included in the assessment And it says a drop in the price of vegetable oils also helped. USDA reported that Mexico purchased more than 7 million bushels of new crop corn on Monday, but it wasn't enough to push corn prices higher. Michelle Rook is back with more in Markets Now.
3: Greens closing mixed on Monday. Brian Grady with Pro Farmer joining us. And Brian, let's talk about the corn market setting back. Is that harvest pressure or the inability to take out that $5 resistance mark?
5: Yeah, I think it's the latter. Uh, until we take out five dollars and, and see if there's some buy stops above that level, uh, we're probably going to struggle uh, and to get through it. And, and uh, so we just kind of in, in wait and see mode. I think harvest lows are in place for corn. Uh, I just don't think it's it's going to be a sharp shot to the upside unless we get some sort of external factor that comes into play. Yeah,
3: soybean market able to push to the plus side though, and we did have a pretty nice NOPA crush figure to push that, didn't we?
5: Absolutely. And and uh, the soybean exports have started to pick up a little bit. Nopa Crush, uh, like you mentioned, a record for September. And, and so that's a good, strong start to the new crop marketing year. And uh, you know, it gave us a boost today. Not a huge boost, but uh, definitely gave, gave the market uh, a little bit of oomph.
3: We did have a higher weekly close, though, last week. So does that kind of confirm in your mind, Brian, that the harvest low is in in soybeans, too, just like you said with corn?
5: Yeah, much like corn, I I do believe the harvest lows are in place. And, you know, uh, that that can change. But uh, for now, I think that uh, the market does try to grind higher and and, uh, on both corn and soybeans.
3: Yeah. And what do you make of uh, the soybean meal sales that we've had here recently in that market?
5: Well, uh, they aren't very typical. That's that's the first thing, is that uh, we we don't usually see those sales in excess of 100,000 metric tons, and, and we've seen a couple now, and, and so that's price supportive. Uh, it all goes back to the fact that Argentina, uh, the world's number one exporter of, of soy products, uh, had such a short crop last year, and it's driving more demand to the United States. But the other thing is, we got to price levels that are values to the end user.
3: Soybeans, just like corn running up into risk resistance, though, $13 mark, we can't seem to take that out or close above it. What will it take?
5: Yeah, I, I think these key uh, technical levels probably come into play as much as anything. We all know what the the seasonals are right now. We're you know slogging through harvest and, and trying to get that done. Uh, so we're transitioning from a, a new crop supply situation here in the United States to an outlook for South America supply situation going through our key demand period for soybeans. And, and so it's, it's one of those transition periods. And, and when we get into those, I think the technicals do play a bigger
3: role. Thanks for joining us. Brian Grady with Pro Farmer. We'll have more Ag Day coming up.
4: So as I mentioned, I want to go and take a look at what's going on with the jet stream because the pattern is going to look very similar to last week, but the difference is going to come with a high amplitude ridge building over nearly a third, if not two thirds of the United States. So let's take you through this. This is Tuesday. you got a low pressure system, and this was January, February, or March. We'll be talking about a decent nor'easter taking shape Wednesday and Thursday. Low pressure system at the surface exits to the northeast. Another trough digs shallower compared to the one that just came through through the Midwest on Thursday. But you're starting to see that pattern set up where we go with the high amplitude ridge back onto the west coast with heat and quiet conditions back under the ridge and the trough sinking down here to the south. So that's going to continue to dig to the south, into the southeast, into Saturday, possibility of maybe even a cutoff low that is going to be stacked from the surface all the way up to the jet stream. As we found out, uh, as we know, (laughs) these things are very difficult to move, especially when they become closed and they're stacked from the surface all the way up to about 40,000 feet. So what that means, this is going to sit here while we continue to amplify here, which means that ridging is going to continue to move uh, to the north as uh, pieces of energy stream right down the jet stream. But you can see by Monday and Tuesday of next week some soft ridging in behind that cutoff low this is the trend we want to see when it comes to harvesting and drying things out and not for one day but maybe even three or four days across a large portion of the united states that nuisance rain those low pressure systems move out so i'm thinking next monday tuesday and wednesday is when we start to build in not only the warmth but the quiet weather as well this is october 21st through the 25th uh, where that ridge a soft ridge starts to develop is where that heat is going to be, where that cutoff low sticks around. below average temperatures as well as some rain and cloud cover uh, all across the east coast. And again, it's a pattern we're going to be following all week long. Start off, take a look at Gordon. Mostly sunny, high around 77 degrees, low of 42 degrees. Uh, Ashland, Kentucky, partly cloudy, high around 61. Garden
1: City, sunny, high around 81 degrees. USDA reset its expectations for milk production and prices. We'll have details next. And later, how a fan favorite flavor of ice cream may have gotten its start at a South Dakota University Creamery today in the country. In its latest supply and demand report, USDA is raising the all milk price forecast for this year, raising it 30 cents to 2070 per hundredweight. Now for next year it puts the number at 2055 up 25 cents it also raised the milk production forecast for this year to just over 227 billion pounds which is up slightly from last month on more rapid growth in milk per cow if realized milk production for 2023 would be up less than 0.5 percent compared to last year Class 3 milk prices now stand at 1705 per 100weight, which is down 30 cents from September, while the class 4 price forecast was raised 65 cents to 1925 per hundredweight. You have more time to apply for milk loss program assistance, USDA announcing it is extending the deadline to Monday, October 30th. Officials saying it will allow more time for eligible dairy farmers to apply for weather-related disaster assistance. The program is administered by FSA. It compensates dairy producers who had to dump or remove milk without compensation from the commercial market in 2020, 2021, and 2022. Eligible losses can include such things as power outages and impassable roads due to weather. Hey, we'll stick with dairy and talk about ice cream coming up next. How a campus creamery in South Dakota continues its legacy of innovation in the country. Americans consume about 12 pounds of ice cream per person per year. Uh, it's a dairy-derived treat driven higher by an ever-growing list of interesting flavors. And as Farm Journal's Tyne Morgan shows us, one of those popular combos might have gotten its start on the campus of South Dakota State.
6: Walk through these doors at South Dakota State and step into an ice cream lover's dream.
2: What you're standing in right now is the Davis dairy plant. It was opened in October of 20. 11. And the dairy plant itself, the dairy store, the dairy program goes back about, I don't know, 135 or so years.
6: Behind these walls is still a fully operational dairy plant. And these windows give a glimpse into the hands-on learning these students get every day.
2: What we want to showcase is the dairy program here at South Dakota State University. What we do here is do do teaching and research in dairy all the way from the farm to products.
6: And it truly is farm a fork. The milk used here comes from SDSU's dairy cows, then it's processed here and turned into the yummy products you see.
2: And the students are being trained in dairy science, in uh, learning how to make different products.
6: And the science has been going strong for more than 130 years, but it was nearly 50 years ago that a popular ice cream flavor was born.
2: It was like a lot of, like a lot of inventions, you know, It just came about. Shirley Sees, the plant manager at the
6: time, told two students that he had an idea.
2: He said, boys, go get some Oreos, Oreo cookies, from the store and and crush them up and put, put them in ice cream. Let's see what happens. Turned out to be okay. It became cookies and cream, and very quickly, it really became very, very popular.
6: Mystery says ice cream may look like a very innocent product, but the reality is the science of it is extremely complex.
2: There are air bubbles in it. There's a method in which air bubbles are created, but when you create the air bubbles, they have to be stable, so that when you put the ice cream in the mouth, it will gently melt. It has to be frozen at the right temperature, at the right rate. The ice crystals have to be a certain size, otherwise, in the ice cream world, it's called sandiness, because the ice cream tastes very gritty.
6: Tapping into the science while also uncovering new flavors for others to enjoy. It's how the Dairy and Food Science Program here at SDSU serves up a student experience that's truly
1: unique. All right, thanks Tyne. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad to tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day and Clinton Griffiths, have a great day.